0: Well, again, uh, let me say uh, good morning, first of all, and happy Mother's Day. I truly hope that our moms uh, feel appreciated and loved today. Maybe uh, your family can give you a break, uh, treat you like the queen that you are, Uh, but hopefully today is a special uh, day for you. Uh, Before I dig in, let me just welcome you to our kitchen. Uh, This is our kitchen behind me. It is absolutely one of my favorite rooms in the entire house. And it is a place that I just love to be in. And a lot of times, you know, when we were looking for a house in Loveland, Uh, The kitchen was like one of the main rooms that I would look at. Uh, I would see if it had enough counter space. I would see if it had enough storage space. And so I would go through everything and look at it. Uh, In this one, we used to have a wall right where I'm standing. And uh, when we moved in, one of the things that we wanted to do was remove that wall so that we could open up the space. And uh, I was just thinking, man, what a great thing for us this morning uh, to have our Mother's Day service in the kitchen. And before you draw all your conclusions of why I'm doing that, it's not what you're thinking. It's not where all of our women belong, barefoot and pregnant. It's, you know, why did the woman cross the road? What's the point? What's she doing outside the kitchen? It's not that, all right? It's just that I feel like the kitchen is a comfortable place to be. It is a place that I always think of uh, when I go back in my memories of growing up, and so... Uh, Hopefully this is a nice, inviting, warm place uh, for us to have this morning. When I was growing up, it's where I would have a lot of good conversations with my mom. And she would share recipes with me, and she would teach me how to cook, and we would talk. And I remember the smells uh, that filled our house. Now, I didn't grow up in a coffee house, uh, but I grew up in a house of like sweet rolls and casseroles and dishes that my mom would prepare uh, for the next meal. And it was just amazing. And in fact, when we would have holidays, uh, all those all those uh, smells would be intensified. Uh, So especially with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, it was like on steroids. It was like you would smell it all throughout the house. But the closer you got to the kitchen, the epicenter of the smells, it was just amazing. And so it was also... Just the conversations that would take place. And so when I wanted to have a conversation with my mom, uh, those would usually take place in the kitchen. If I wanted to have a conversation with my dad, uh, that would be outside at the grill. He's like, men grill steak, and we go out and, you know, put steaks on the grill and burgers and dogs and brats and whatnot. Um, But since it's Mother's Day, uh, let's move back to where I would spend time with my mom, and that was there. And also around uh, the dining room table, uh, the conversations that took place. In fact, most of the most in-depth conversations that took place in our home growing up was around our dining room table. Lots of laughter, lots of tears that were uh, shed, lots of time in prayer, and the conversations, the life lessons that I learned around that table. And it was also a place where laughter took place and good uh, Good stuff. But uh, I will never forget uh, just that time that I had with my mom in the kitchen, even to this day, when I visit her or she visits here, um, just the times that we have to share. And it's just beautiful. And so moms, I just want to tell you right now, uh, don't ever second guess your worth and uh, your value. Uh, You are so valuable and you are worth so much. And God created you. Um, to be a mom. And that's just beautiful. And uh, ladies, don't ever second guess your value and your worth, and especially when it comes to ministry. And funny how we jokingly, even I kind of mentioned it before, we jokingly associate women with the kitchen, uh, almost like putting them in a box. You know, we kind of do that. We kind of just, uh, this is your place to be. And I've heard that throughout my whole life, which I always thought was ironic or interesting, because I spend more time in the kitchen than most women that I know, Um, so I never understood that. But uh, the, the amazing thing about Jesus, and I hope you guys get this as you read through the Gospels, Jesus never put ladies in a box. He never put them in a specific spot. In fact, what he would do is he would elevate them. Uh, And he would elevate them in certain ways that would have even been considered um, kind of scandalous in that day, and especially when it came to the religious leaders. Uh, They didn't like it that Jesus elevated ladies. And there's significance of women in the life of Jesus all through the life of Jesus. We get a small snapshot of this in Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be there and we're going to be at the very tail end of chapter 7 here in just a moment. But in Luke chapter 8, the first three verses give us a snapshot of the uh, women that kind of surrounded Jesus. It says this, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women, uh, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, uh, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Not sure if you guys knew that. He had actually casted out demons out of Mary Magdalene. There was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's businessman, manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So Luke kind of pulls the curtains back a little bit and we discover that Jesus is a lot like us and that we have been greatly influenced and much of our lives have been affected by amazing women. My life is no different. And I think about the women that have impacted my life for the better. My mom, my sister, uh, my wife, Sarah, and many others have impacted and made impacts into the man that I am today. And so from the very beginning of Jesus' life all the way to the cross, we see amazing women. And they were not only there Uh, around him, but they were supporting him. And so think about this. Mary obviously was chosen to give birth uh, to Jesus and then given the role as Jesus's mother. You know, how amazing and crazy would that be? You're going to be Jesus's mom. So when she has people over and they're looking at baby Jesus and they would be like looking into the crib, oh, he's perfect. And Mary would be like, you have no idea. Yeah, that's the way it's going to be. And it's also Mary, not Joseph, that is at the cross at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And what makes this scenario a little bit different from a lot of the other healings is when Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law in in Matthew chapter 8, when she gets healed, she doesn't go about her way. She doesn't go on living her life like normal uh, like a lot of other people did, it actually says that she just began to serve Jesus. She began serving Him uh, immediately after she was healed. When you read through the book of John, two amazing stories pop out to me, and that's John chapter 4, John chapter 8, where except, um, except for Christ, the spotlight is on two ladies Uh, The widow who gave uh, two copper coins, she gave everything that she had as an offering. And Jesus points that out. Jesus' relationship to the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and how unique and special that was. And it would be women that would discover an empty tomb, that the the stone had been rolled away. And here in Luke chapter 8, not only women that are near Jesus but women who actually financially supported his cause and supported his ministry. But when you talk about ladies being near the feet of Christ, there's one story that kind of raises to the top for me. And it's the story that I want to share with you today. And so if you'll do me a favor, take your Bible, and you're either going to turn back one page or just one section in your Bible to the very end of chapter 7 of Luke, Uh, We're going to start in verse 36, and this is how it starts. It says, one day, sorry, actually, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, and so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This story that Luke shares is very similar to another story uh, that you may read in Matthew twenty-six and then also in John chapter twelve. And there's some similarities um, in that story a lady actually uh, pours perfume over Jesus' head. Um, But there's also some differences. In fact, there's enough differences that we believe that these are two separate occurrences, two separate encounters. So Jesus is invited to a dinner at Simon the Pharisee's home. Uh, What are the intentions of the Pharisees with inviting Jesus in to have a meal with them, a feast with them? We're not totally sure what their intentions are. I will give you two theories that I have. of why they invited him in. Uh, The first one is this, uh, that they actually see Jesus as someone threatening uh, their popularity. And so they want to trap him. They want to catch him doing something wrong, uh, maybe to learn more about their competition. Uh, Maybe it's to set Jesus up and catch him doing something that they deem inappropriate, that they don't think he should be doing. And we're not sure the reason, but Jesus doesn't miss an opportunity to make a point with them as he always does. And so uh, the scene here inside the home is, would be a table that would be just off the ground, a few inches off the ground, and they would lay down on their left side. And it would be hard for me to show you, but if they laid down on their left side, and usually there would be a pillow there, and then they would eat, and their feet would be going away from the table. And that's kind of how it is set up. Jesus, as being the guest of honor, uh, would have been right behind Simon. So to his left, the lady in question has a reputation throughout town, which leads us to believe that she has the occupation that you all think that she has in this town, which is also why Simon and the other Pharisee friends uh, respond that the way that we're going to read about here soon. But my question is, how does she get there? How does she get to Jesus? To his feet How does she get in the room? Uh, and there are two theories uh, that most scholars have. The first one is it was customary that during feasts, like the one that Simon is throwing for Jesus, people were often allowed to observe all the festivities that were going on. Uh, sometimes they were allowed to talk with some of the guests, so they'd be able to come in and even uh, maybe even receive some of the scraps that were left over, so some of the leftovers of the food uh, from the feast. And so, uh, perhaps she takes advantage of this custom uh, to make her way into the room uh, to be close to the guest of honor. The second theory is this, possibly that she had visited this house uh, before on business. Uh, We don't know this, but it had been known to happen before, and it has been known to happen a lot since. Uh, where religious leaders would be involved in immoral activity. Uh, But those are the two theories, most likely the first one, uh, that she is just taking advantage of the custom of being allowed to come in and view the festivities going on. And she comes to Jesus, obviously, with a goal to anoint his feet Uh, But she does way more than that. And it's all captured in verse 38. uh, When she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping her tears on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And she anointed his feet. So she washes his feet. She kisses his feet and she anoints his feet. Let's finish uh, this passage. We're going to read all the way to verse 50. It says, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when they saw her doing all these things, uh, Simon, he said to himself, This means he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, and so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more than that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. And that's right, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. And the man at the table, the men at the table, said to themselves, said among themselves, Who is this man? That he goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When I first read through that story this past week, and I just kind of closed my eyes and envisioned the room, I oftentimes like to do that. I get this sense of somebody, this lady, being invited but not feeling. Welcomed. I think we've all felt that way at times in our lives where we've gone to some place where we've been invited, but when we got there, we didn't feel very welcomed. Um, <clears throat> maybe the invitation was out of obligation. Maybe it was something where they invited you because they felt like they needed to. But when you got there and you entered in, you didn't feel welcomed. Maybe it was the looks. Uh, That you received, or the conversations that you saw taking place as they glanced your way. Maybe it was when you actually went to church for the first time. And that one place where people should not only invite you in, but make you feel incredibly welcome. And yet they didn't. They only looked at you in the way that you were dressed, or maybe the way that you talked, smelled, viewed. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was even by your reputation. Maybe you were invited to a party or a social gathering and you didn't feel welcomed at all. I think we've all been there where we've been invited but we didn't feel very welcomed and it's, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. Maybe you've been on the other side. I know I have. Where we kind of did what Simon did where we gave the glances, where we um, had the thoughts in our head, why are they here? Uh, They don't belong here. We didn't make them feel welcome. But when I close my eyes, this is the scene I get. This is the vision I get of somebody who loves Jesus but doesn't feel welcomed in the room by anybody else. In fact, the one person uh, that is glad that she is there is Jesus. And that is because Jesus has this amazing ability uh, to see the heart of a person, of anything else. um, uh, And not only her heart, but her mindset. uh, That she acknowledges who she is, a sinner, and who Jesus is. Um, She knows this about herself, that she comes with sin, then there 's Simon. <laughs> now, Simon gets the pleasure to experience a lot of uh, a lot of what other Pharisees got to experience when they were near Jesus. Uh, they, he got to experience what it 's like to be in a room with someone uh, who could read his mind. Uh, I think that would be one of the most uncomfortable uh, things ever is to just be in a room with people who knew your every thought and knew (laughs) what was going on upstairs in your mind, and I would probably get to the place where I'm like, okay, don't think of anything. Almost go total Ghostbusters, where it's like, okay, clear your mind. Clear everything out of your mind. Uh, Don't think of anything, because I don't want Jesus to use this against me. And of course, Jesus would probably look right at me and say, dude, I know exactly what you're thinking. But then he addresses Simon's thoughts. And this is what Jesus really says. He says, you, Simon, as the host, uh, did not do what customarily you should have done for the guest of honor. You didn't do the things that customarily you were supposed to do. And so when I came into your home, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't wash my feet. And this is a very customary thing, uh, especially in first century, dirt roads, a lot of uh, dust. And so when you would go into somebody's home, uh, they wore sandals, of course, good for them. They would have somebody come and wash their feet. And Jesus basically says, you, Simon, you did not wash my feet. And he says, and you didn't greet me with a kiss, which was also very customary greeting back then. Uh, They were not. Uh, accustomed to six feet of separation, obviously. And so they would plant one on the cheek uh, when you would come in. It was a greeting. It was very common. And Jesus, when he comes in, does not get greeted. He says, you, Simon, you should have washed my feet, but you also should have greeted me with a kiss. And you also did not anoint me with oil. Now, if Jesus was truly seen As a person that was held in honor, they should have anointed his head with oil. Most commonly, it would have been olive oil. Uh, That was something that most every home would have. They would anoint him over his head with olive oil. But you, Simon, didn't do this, did you? See, this lady, she not only did these things, she did all three of these things for Jesus the things that the master of the house should have done, provided, this immoral woman comes and she does all three. And she does them in an extravagant way. She washes his feet with her tears, which tells us that she is overcome with emotion, being in the presence of Jesus. It wasn't like one little teardrop. This is wailing, sobbing. The scripture actually says weeping, that it is Pouring out of her face, that it is streaming onto his feet, enough that she can actually wash his feet with the tears. And she not only greets Jesus with a kiss, it says that she never stopped kissing his feet. She is overcome by the fact that she is in the presence of the Holy Son of God. And when she anoints Jesus' feet, she doesn't use olive oil. She uses expensive perfume, expensive perfume, and anoints his feet with them. She anoints Jesus and gives him the honor that he deserves. And so, think about this. We see two different sides. We see two different approaches to Jesus, two different mindsets towards Jesus. We have the Pharisees, and their approach is this. They are very proud and yet they are very curious about Jesus. But they approach him with this mindset. Does he meet my standards? Did Jesus meet the standards of us as Pharisees, as religious leaders, as uh, scholars of the law? Does Jesus line up and meet up to our standards? And then you have this woman who comes as a sinner. And her she comes humble and she comes grateful. So very the opposite of the Pharisees. And her mindset is this, do I meet up to his standards? The Pharisees want to know, does he line up to our standards? And she wants to ask herself the question, do I meet his? Now, the question that I had was, well, is her sin actually even greater than theirs. Jesus obviously tells this parable and you start to think, okay, well, was her sin that much greater? And I don't think so. Uh, I don't believe so. I just believe that she recognized her sin and her need for forgiveness. And they did not. See, the problem with the Pharisees and for many Christians for that matter today is that we oftentimes fail to recognize the magnitude of our sin. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll compare our sin to people that we think sin more than us or that their sin is greater because of their specific sin. And that oftentimes gets us in trouble. They sin differently. But one of the biggest differences between the sinful woman and these sinful Pharisees is that she's the only one that is recognizing her sin and the one who recognizes Jesus as holy. And so, not only to recognize who we are as sinners, but a greater recognition of who he is, a Savior. And a recognition that in Christ, and this is amazing, in Christ... We are no longer viewed by the amount of our sin, but by the desire that we have for him. See, we have this new identity in Jesus, a new identity in Christ. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, I can be seen as pure and holy through the eyes of God. And you can be seen as pure and holy through the eyes of God, only through the sacrifice of Christ. And so, I want to close with this, and it was probably the one thing that made the biggest impact on me as I read through this this past week, and it's very simple, and it's the question, where did her tears fall? Where did her tears fall? Meaning that she was close enough to Jesus that when tears fell from her face, they landed on his feet. They landed on his feet. And so I have to ask myself this question, and I would hope that you would ask yourself this question. Am I close enough to Jesus that when I cry, my tears land at his feet? This should be the goal, to be so close to Christ in our everyday life that when the tears fall, they land the, on the feet of the Savior. That is my prayer for you, and that is my prayer for me. And uh, I think if we can do that together, we can all grow just one step closer to Him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. I just thank you so much for our mothers uh, who mean so much to us and have made huge impacts in our life. And some of us have lost our moms. Some of us still have them in our lives. But uh, we just appreciate not only um, how you view them, but how you view women. And we know that you elevate them. And this amazing, beautiful story just reminds us of our relationship to you and this need for forgiveness and forgiveness is available for all of us. And so if there's anybody right now, um, that is just feeling this tug on their heart, that they would just acknowledge you, that they would go to you, that they would ask you for forgiveness and I would ask you for forgiveness. And knowing that you offer it to us, and it doesn't matter our gender, our race, um, what our socioeconomical economical uh, situation is, you offer it to everyone, and you love us all. And so I pray that we will just be so close to you that when the tears fall, they land at your feet. And this ask in your name. Amen.